Welcome to Football and Society, a new podcast exploring societal issues through the lens of the beautiful game. I'm Chris Shipman, and I'm joined by Ash McMullen and Norman Riley. We'll be exploring topics including the experiences of female football officials in the UK, the England-Scotland rivalry, and community football initiatives in deprived areas. Today we'll be looking at the history of the French national team. In 1998, the French football team won the World Cup for the first time on home soil. The nation fell in love with heroes such as Zinedine Zidane and Patrick Vieira, who came to be celebrated as symbols of assimilation in the post-colonial age, but the French had not always held the sport or its athletes in such high esteem. Dr. Lindsay Krasnov studied developments in the public's relationship with Le Bleu. Her research reveals that football was traditionally regarded with contempt and looked down upon by the French elite, partly because football was the first team sport to become professionalised in 1932. After the euphoria of France's World Cup and European Cup triumphs in 1998 and 2000, the team's relationship with the French public deteriorated. Disappointment on the pitch, combined with behavioural and disciplinary issues off it, led to tension. The culture of football celebrity seemed to fuel public antagonism towards uneducated athletes who were accruing vast sums of wealth at a time when the country's economy had been crippled by the 2008 financial crash. While some have argued that criticism of these players was often racially coded, Lindsay suggests that the anti-football backlash is less to do with overt racism and more to do with what it means to be French culturally. The second sports crisis, as it is referred to, reveals an enduring bias against football within French culture. The 2010 World Cup seems to restore some of France's passion for football, however, with French players using social media channels to express a renewed sense of cohesion and unity. This study was published in 2017 and was therefore written before France won their second World Cup in 2018. We are delighted to welcome Lindsay onto the Football and Society podcast to discuss her research with us today. Lindsay is an international sports writer, historian and consultant. Lindsay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Could you please tell us why you wanted to research this topic? It stemmed from a master's project I, I had done way back when, uh, when I was still doing my apprenticeship in uh, sports journalism. At the time, France had just won the European Championship in the World Cup, and I had to write a series of investigative articles on something French and something sport. And you know, the natural question was, well, how did France produce young footballers that went on to you know, win major accolades at the world stage. Uh, so that was kind of the initial genesis uh, of the larger book. Um, certainly when I went back for my PhD, I dug much more into the backstory and updated it through to 2010. So therein lies the kernels of the, <laughs> the whole shebang. So before we go back in time, let's, let's slightly look at the present or the, the more present as it were. Um, I just wondered how France's recent World Cup triumph in 2018 has affected the relationship between the French public and football. Do you get the sense that France is still in the midst of, of what you call the second sports crisis? No. I mean, that it's a really good question. And I think certainly winning always helps to alleviate uh, tensions between the national football team and the public in this particular case. But I don't think it was only winning the World Cup that has helped to alleviate um, things. There were certainly other inflection points uh, that have helped the French national team refine their public and their public image, uh, part of which you alluded to in the introduction with the rise of social media 
um, and certainly the French Football Federation and the national team thinking through how to rewin the hearts and minds of their public, uh, the, the social media presence of many of the national team players, male and female, I think has done a lot to help massage public opinion a bit. They are out there talking and posting about things that go beyond the stereotypical bling-bling lifestyle that came under such heavy criticism in the early 2000s. So social media is a part of it. The increased efforts on the terrain, you know, uh, France uh, came in second at the European Championship. That certainly helped, uh, as well as the fact that uh, football was a way to commune and to come together to grieve and to heal following the terrorist tax. And so the, the two, it's all it's all tied up. And the winning of the World Cup in 2018 was kind of the nice final bow on top for now. Going back to when football was actually first professionalised in France in the 1930s, you say that the French elite, um, as you call them, actually looked down on football as a result. Why was there such opposition to athletes earning a salary for performances? Well, that has to do with the fact that uh, in France and its sports culture, such as it exists, um, historically, there's been a, um, an idealization of amateurism. You know, certainly that traces itself all the way back to Pierre de Coubertin, the quote unquote father of the modern Olympics, uh, who very much prized idealism and uh, in sports uh, and there is a disdain towards money-making tendencies for sport, but also keep in mind uh, towards other endeavors as well. As many point out, France does not have the same sort of uh, cultural attitude towards uh, capitalism uh, that I think British or American cultures are much more used to. Unfortunately, they've, um, they've got a a healthier attitude towards capitalism than we do, I think. But hey, we'll, we'll not go down that route. Um, you refer to a French government suggestion in the 1950s that basketball ought to be the sport that receives investment as it's uh, the game, quote, best suited to the French cerebral psyche. I'd be interested mm-hmm. if you could, could expand on this. Um, if, if basketball is a more cerebral game and therefore more suited to the French psyche, does this suggests that those playing football are either not French and therefore not cerebral or French, but not typically French as there must be lacking intelligence, hence why they play football. Yeah, yeah. so that's a really great question. And the document um, that this uh, quote comes from was produced in probably between 1957 and 1958 before France fully invested itself in preparations for the 1960 Olympic Games. And so I think you have to, take that very much in mind that it is a snapshot in time and that it, you know, perhaps has certain sorts of outdated notions about national characteristics and traits, which we know are kind of flimsy to begin with. Uh, But certainly there is a sense that basketball was a much more cerebral and intelligent sport. And France was the first basketball playing country in Europe. Uh, they, They played the first game on European soil in 1893 two years after the sports invention in the United States. Uh, so there, there's certainly been this long history with basketball where the French early on had utilized the sport and its culture as kind of a um, an anti-American cultural stance, which is a little bit ironic as it was born <laughs> in the United States. Um, you know, so certainly there's that aspect of it. 
football, on the other hand, obviously much more massly popular, much more consumed and mediatized. Even in the late 1950s, when that particular report was written, it was also not just about the professionalism, but the fact that so many immigrants or newly arrived uh, migrants also played football. It was a way to help integrate people into local communities. Um, France, as you know, has long been a destination for immigrants of various different stripes from all over the world. And football was a way to help create French men in this case, or uh, a little later French women. Um, so yes, there was a sense that football was a sport of the popular classes, of the working class, um, of the immigrant class. And perhaps that's where some of these admittedly probably a little bit snobbish attitudes that we see reflected in this particular document in question um, come into play. Yeah, I, I got thinking about, obviously, historically in the 50s when that comment was made, it was during you know the era in which uh, the French were losing their colonies as the indigenous people rose up against them. And it also got me thinking of the the fact that in the, in Britain, football was seen as a working class game. And I guess I thought of it as a, well, if football is the game of the, the working classes and to a certain extent the, the oppressed masses, then we don't want to encourage it too much. Otherwise, it might seem over through of, of our, you know, our well-established um, bourgeoisie. That, that's what I started thinking almost of it, as if football was seen as a kind of a revolutionary activity. Um, I may be completely wrong with that, but it'd be interesting to explore deeper, I think. Yeah, no, so that's a really great point. And the funny thing about football in France is that when, when it, you know, up until World War One, it was the sport of the elites and the upwardly aspiring bourgeoisie. It was copied directly from Britain. And uh, at the time in the late 19th and early 20th century amongst the French upper classes, there was very much a British mania, if you will, well before the Beatles. And, you know, so football was part of it. Um, a proper young son learned to play football when he went away for his education and brought it back. So that's the interesting part of it. World War I democratized football in many ways um, and popularized it. So it's an interesting tension that, you know, just decades later, um, the sport had a very different sort of mm -hmm. association and connotation in, in uh, opinion-making popular culture. Within the French League itself, are there some teams that still retain a more of a working class identity? I'm thinking, for example, I mean, I'm I'm half French, so I'm interested in French football. I support Rennes. And I've always been aware that clubs like Saint-Étienne, for example, seem to have a much closer affiliation with workers than some of the more elite clubs. Yes, yes, that's definitely the case. Um, historically speaking, and, and certainly when you have the rise of, for example, Super Club Paris Saint-Germain, uh, in which it's no longer really feasible for many average working people to purchase tickets to go and watch the team mm. consistently play, I, I think this and you know brings a new sort of dynamic into it. But yeah, I think many clubs in France still retain that that close association with their original roots and. When many of the current football clubs were formed or really grew, it was in the 1920s, 1930s, when they were closely linked to some of the major companies or industries in town. And you'll also notice, you know, part of this is that the there's not the same sort of derby rivalry for most French clubs as there are 
in many other parts of Europe, uh, simply because most most towns only have one professional right. team. Of course, sure. That's really interesting. And in the article, you were mentioning earlier that you talked about football as a kind of agent of assimilation. So for the different groups of migrants coming to France uh, in the 20th century, um, however, within France, there are many migrants and members of the second generation who openly support their countries of origin. And one example very recently was the support for Algeria um, mm-hmm. during their victorious African Cup of Nations campaign. That was 2019. I was wondering, if does this either pose a threat to the process of assimilation or is it in fact part of the process itself? So I think it's it's a question that France is very much grappling with today. Uh, you know, stemming back to the concept that you know French citizenship is citizenship of the soil. Anyone can become French as long as you adhere to quote unquote French public behavior, speaking French, adapting the customs, the style of dress, and so forth. Rooting for the French team, perhaps one could say, might be part of that. Yet in recent years, there's very much been the acknowledgement that although everyone has one singular French identity, there is increasingly many uh, citizens and different generations who have a shared double cultural heritage. Uh, You saw this uh, crop up in the aftermath of the 2018 World Cup win when many people around the world, uh, but certainly I think maybe most famously South African comedian Trevor Noah, that the French national team win was Africa's team or something to that effect. And it set up a social media controversy that made its way into the news headlines in different parts of the world over this concept of identity. And it was interesting that the French footballers themselves didn't actually say much about it. They just acknowledged that, yes, we come from a variety of different backgrounds, but we are French, mostly in emojis. But it was, interestingly, some of the country's national basketball team members who spoke up on social media and tried to share that they are French and proudly so that they have always represented the French national team. At the same time, they acknowledged the double cultural heritage, the French heritage and the you know, Senegalese or the uh, Cameroonian cultural heritage of their parents and grandparents, um, acknowledging the fact that Yes, there's been this really interesting mix of migration and immigration that has helped to produce modern day French citizens. And so I think this is a question that hasn't necessarily gone away, uh, but has been subsumed um, by other more recent events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, sp- speaking of, of identity and how it's constructed within a within the sporting context, um, from a kind of English point of view, it, seem, it seems that, you know, if you kind of read through the press and you, you pick up, I guess, impressions from other football fans and how the media spin things. It seems that players from minority backgrounds here are lauded when they perform well for the national team or in any sport, being, in effect, good immigrants. Yet it seems that, that they are scrutinised and criticised with way greater vitriol and ferocity than white players should they ever make a mistake on the pitch or, or do something that doesn't meet the standards that are judged on by the dominant white culture. Examples in the UK that immediately spring to mind are Raheem Sterling and Marcus Rashford, um, the most recent one, obviously. And actually, mm-hmm. I, I do recall after Zinedine Zidane sending off in the 2006 World Cup, the kind of racialized discourse around his reaction to Marco Matarazzi, given that obviously Zidane 
um, Zidane's family, I believe, are, I think, Algerian, um, Algerian mm-hmm. French, at least. And g- given the, the multi-ethnic makeup of the French national team and throughout French football, is this something you see play out in France? You know, these players are French when they behave and how the dominant white culture tells them they should behave and or when they're winning trophies and medals for the country, but they're not real French when they are, when they're the other, when they do something that challenges how the dominant culture expects them to behave or... That's an interesting um, equation because uh, certainly there is something I think that one can connect about being part of a, a winning team effort and getting a certain um, pass if your behaviors are perhaps less than exemplary all the time. The, the headbutt of Zidane is, uh, I think, the prime example there. Most of the French who I know and spoke with, they acknowledge that that was sad and unfortunate, but it was Zidane and what can you do? And life goes on. Um, it was more the non-French uh, press and um, people who I spoke to who had a much bigger issue with it. That could also just be a reflection of you know, the various different circles who I'm in contact with in the, in the French sports world um, tend to be of the sports world or of um, the academy and less into the everyday politicization that football has become in France over the past 20 years. So there's that. I think I think this issue of identity and being a good, quote unquote, good or quote unquote, less than ideal footballer um, for the national team tied to immigration history. I think that's become, at least in France, a little less of a issue over the past several years. And I'd really kind of trace this back again to the terrorist attacks um, with Charlie Hebdo and so forth. It you know it's not really something that any of my French cohort talks about really in the same way that we still do in much of the Anglophone world. I'm not sure why that is, but um, it's it's no longer as much of a point of discussion and contention as it was, say, 15 years ago or even 10 years ago. You mentioned the terrorist attacks there, and obviously there's there's been a number of terrorist attacks that France has unfortunately been the victim of over the past couple of decades um, specifically in November 2015, which, as I'm sure we all remember, when attackers stormed the, the Bataclan nightclub uh, during during a gig. But ISIS-associated bombers on that evening also struck outside the Stade de France uh, stadium during the international fixture, having failed to gain entry to the ground. Did the fact that radical Islamic terrorists specifically targeted the home of the national team during a fixture in any way affect feeling towards a multicultural sporting entity, which, of course, does include Muslim players within a squad? Yeah, I, I, think, I think subconsciously it has. And the fact that so many across the nation rallied to the national team and that symbolism in the weeks afterwards as part of the grieving and healing process, I think that has so much to do with why it's the various different identity and background that the national team is no longer quite the abrasive issue for many in France as it perhaps was prior to 2015. So I think that's part of it. I think there's also been a lot of um, very conscious public service work done both by footballers as well as the Federation, but also by other French celebrities to call attention to the fact that so many French have, especially those who are in the spotlight, have, uh, you know, this are a byproduct of this rich immigrant background and you know how it's something to be celebrated. The diversity makes them stronger than not. And so I think that's an important thing to keep in mind, as well as the fact that 
recently over the past several years with the rise of the ultra-nationalist uh, segment of politics, I think that has helped to crystallize the lines a little bit further. It seems that a large part of the French public's antagonism, when it does exist towards uh, football, seems to stem from the fact that football players actually tend to be uneducated. Is it fair to say that in French society, it's harder for an uneducated working class individual to become a respected national icon than it is in, say, the UK or the US? I think in the French case, well, first of all, uh, not all footballers are uneducated. Um, there is supposedly, especially when they're uh, going through the national um, training program at Clairefontaine, they, they are required to follow their studies, uh, scholastic, uh, alongside their football studies, very much the, the recognition that to excel at the game, you can't just be a fit athlete. You have to have tactical know-how and some of that, you know, and general knowledge and intelligence on the field. And some of that you train for through the classroom as well. Also in recognition that most most will not sign and become professional footballers. So then what? There needs to be some sort of backup option. Obviously, of course, there are certain clubs um, and youth academies that actually do adhere to this rhetoric um, and these ideals much more so than many others. And every year, the French Football Federation does publish a list of professional club youth academies um, in ranking order in terms of number of number of footballers who they've had sit for and pass their baccalaureate exams, which ones have footballers who go on to enroll in college classes. So it is something that is part of the gauge metric in terms of how they rank the youth football centers, the academies. That being said, football, I would argue, is still one of the most democratic milieus in French society. You can succeed based on merit, even coming from nothing. So there's, I think, a little bit that that sense of inspiration there. That is, in many ways, I think, similar to the United States, that you can go from zero to hero uh, with a lucky break if you're good enough. So I, I definitely think that there is elements of that in France for football. For other sports, perhaps a little bit less so. They don't have the same sort of resources as football does to be able to go out and detect all prom- you know, as many young, promising young players as possible and then to provide them with the support needed to train and excel. You know, the French system, oftentimes if a family can't afford cleats or shin guards or whatnot, will help to bridge that gap so that they don't lose potential elite footballers for lack of resources. Other sports don't have the same sort of financial abilities, so it it will vary from sport to sport. But overall, you know, the French, you know, there's this um, sense of made in France in the football world, where France has become one of the largest producers and exporters of football talent to the rest of the world. I think they're they're number two in the world um, just after Brazil into the big five league. Uh, But certainly they're producing other athletes and other disciplines in decent numbers that are either playing in the world's elite professional leagues or are winning results for France at the national level. Shortly after France won the Football World Cup in 2018, National Sports Daily L'Equipe had a um, front page and series of articles noting how at that time there were think close to 140 or 150 French men and women who were either 
World Cup or World Championship title holders or uh, Olympic medal winners. So would you say then that in the history of French sport generally, gradually over time, sporting knowledge itself has become just as valid as other forms of expertise? No, (laughs) I'd like to say (laughs) yes, but but the reality is that's not the case. The reality is Mm. that sport is still not considered as equal a cultural endeavor as literature, cinema, gastronomy, Mm. um, you know, for whatever reasons. Sport has just continued to lag over the decades, despite the government's best efforts to try to inscribe sport as part of the national culture, uh, despite increased mediatization of sport and a variety of different sports. I think we need to include rugby in there as well, because rugby, professional rugby in France is heavily commercialized and heavily mediatized, as well as football, professional cycling, tennis, and so forth. But for whatever reason, sport is still not considered as important as other endeavors. And you see this playing out in the current conversations about which cultural assets or institutions are receiving X amount or X percentage of government assistance during the COVID pandemic to help bridge the gap and to help stay afloat and to help remain institutions uh, for, for the Republic. The sports world has received some, but it's a pretty low percentage, I think, compared to other institutions. There's a term you actually used in the article that is was used by the media to describe French football players at one of the lowest points in French support, I think around 2007 or eight, and it was the term PlayStation junkies. Could you explain what that was supposed to mean? That was supposed to mean that they were much more interested in playing video games, PlayStation or however else they that that facilitates um than giving back to the community than focusing on training or doing public work that that sort of thing they were uh, kind of i guess shorthand for they were much more self-centered or perceived to be self-centered than not i think that image has dissipated uh if you talk about today while there's still the acknowledgement that footballers as well as pretty much most most athletes uh, including some female athletes but especially male athletes you know they play EA they play all these uh, video games and it, it's part of the global uh, sports lexicon. It's, I find it really interesting what you said there about how French you know society um, air quotes in general kind of judges the like let's say the high art as opposed to football and how they've been finance throughout the the pandemic now obviously football at the top level it's it's self-financing to a certain extent there's absolutely billions in there that doesn't necessarily filter down to the lower leagues at all and um, hence we see clubs in real in real trouble but it just got me thinking of how how, how football how, how we conceptualize education for a start how we conceptualize knowledge a footballer let's say who is incredibly gifted with with skill can can read a game or a manager who can who has tactical brilliance that that knowledge set isn't as valued as somebody who can go into university and produce a, you know, a critical analysis of, of, of a work from 200 years ago. I find it fascinating that that kind of elitism, it, it plays out sort of through every, every aspect of society. I think the, the capitalist element t- ties into it as well to a certain extent. Um, and the, the kind of elitism towards celebrity, perhaps. And, and I think, you know, in, in France, um, it does seem that there's been a, a backlash against the cult of, of celebrity. Um, you know, whereas in the UK and US, that hasn't 
it hasn't necessarily been the case, and and celebrities arguably been embraced by fans. Um, why do you think this is? I'm guessing it's something to possibly do with French attitude attitude towards capitalism, but maybe not. That's my sense of it as well. That that it has much more to do with that, and the fact that uh, historically French culture has not idealized showing off in public what you have. That it you know it's one can enjoy it, but you know it's not as extravagantly flamboyant. You know, perhaps you can tie this all the way back to the pre-revolutionary era when this became an issue. So I, I think there there's quite something to that. I would like to say, though, that a lot of these attitudes, especially that's encapsulated in the article, which was written in 2016, but published in 2017, it, there's been a lot of change, um, even in the four years since then. You look at some of the top footballers for the national team, Les Matuidi, you know, an extremely intelligent, bright player who speaks multiple languages, a business entrepreneur, has invested in a media company, you know, has been known to be the stay-at-home father taking the kids to and from school while his wife has her career. And personalities like Les, like Kylian Mbappe, as young as he is, he is out there doing a lot of public works, a lot of charity work. He's increasingly um, taking uh, the microphone, as it were, in French they say, uh, to prendre le porte-parole, to speak up on some of these social injustice issues. Uh, so I think we have to acknowledge that this, this image and the, the, the attitude towards football as an institution and some of the country's top players is that undergoing you know, quite rapid changes, I think, much more rapidly than, uh, than we've seen in the past 20 years. You mentioned the lack of parity between football and other sports when it comes to resource. And in 2024, Paris is, of course, due to host the Olympic Games. Do you envisage a reduction in passion for football around the time of that event as the spotlight is inevitably thrown on other sports? And I guess to a degree that would be a resumption or a rollback to the situation that you detail in the article of the kind of 50s to 70s where other sports were prioritised or given more kind of focus than football has perhaps. I think France has always, I, I think they've continued to prioritize the Olympics, um, you know, certainly in terms of prestige. The Olympics are still a little bit more prestigious um, than football, per se. But I I think that with the very rapidly uh, approaching Paris 2024, there is certainly a lot more investment in many other sports disciplines to help ensure that they thrive and prosper and can, uh, can represent on home soil. Um, there's very much that initiative. And, you know, obviously, football um, will be part of Paris 2024, especially the women's football tournament, which, the you know, especially with Les Bleus being one of the top women's teams in the world, that's going to be a focus as well as the men's youth tournament. Um, so I, I don't think football is going to recede from the limelight, but I do think other sports are going to ever more gain greater attention this is all to say, though, if you watch sports on French television, it's not all football. It's rugby, it's judo, it's tennis, it's gymnastics, it's swimming, diving, biathlon, skiing. You know, when I watch sports on French television, I have the ability to watch a much more diverse variety of sports than I do on American television, where it's pretty much American football, football, basketball, hockey, 
And one other that I'm forgetting. Baseball. That's pretty much all I can see on American TV. I can see a lot more variety of sports on French TV. That's interesting because, again, I'm going to refer back to the the capitalist argument here, yeah, thinking from a UK context, your availability of sports on mainstream, by mainstream, I guess I mean free TV, is is so limited because your companies such as Sky and BT Sport have have, more, have bought the rights to all to all the sports, regardless really of you know the, I guess the general interest levels. You know, I, I don't know how many people in the UK, for example, are interested in the Tour de France, but it's on Sky. You can't get it on mainstream TV. You may get a highlight show, swimming, etc. These are all, these always seem to, they'll be on the BBC from time to time, but they're predominantly on the, the kind of uh, pay-per-view channels, which, again, I suppose, you know, you, you're comparing how France and, and England view football. Football is the the game in England in terms of the vast majority of people, whereas obviously in, in France, yes, it's incredibly popular, but also other sports are, are popular to a great extent they are in the UK. And, and I find it I find it really interesting. And I think again it, you know, we're we're looking at we're looking at possibly a capitalist versus um less than capitalist argument, but but we'll we'll, we'll never know, I guess, unless we do some heavy research. You quote a journalist, Lindsay, who says that after the nineteen ninety eight World Cup victory, football was kidnapped, its culture forced into the larger value system of French society. In what ways did the culture of French football change as a result? I think it much more came under a microscope. You know, speaking to people who played the game up and down the the ladder prior to the mid 1990s, you know, they all said, "Well, we we never were expected to sing the Marseillaise at the start of games. That was never an issue. If you wanted to, you would. If you didn't, fine." So little little things like that. I think there are new expectations for comportment and what one does or doesn't do. You know, I think part of that was also after 1998, all of a sudden being put in a celebrity spotlight, which, you know, for various different reasons already mentioned, was never really part of the football game in France, as it is much more customary in Britain or for other sports in the United States. It's interesting you mentioned the Marseillaise there and how I guess it became a part of football culture, right? In the sense that the anthem being sung is a an important reference point before games. I don't know what the situation is in France, but in, in England, let's say England, for example, if if the players are seen not to be singing, if one or two players are seen not to be singing or joining in on the national anthem, that is at times picked up in the press, especially by the right-wing press. And now we have social media. It's the, it's the kind of act that's magnified and it, and it really kind of frightens me and it gets me thinking about how obviously right-wing populism has, let's say, embraced or, or sort of got its claws into into sports such as football and you know in, in the UK it's not a huge problem but the right wing in terms of you know right wing groups have made inroads into into football fans I don't know is that the case in France as far as you're aware? There is a bit of that ongoing in France as well I don't think any country is immune to to that general uh, um, trend but I don't think there's as much of a far right wing presence in French football fandom such as it exists and it, it it does exist vastly differently from many other countries in the world. I, I just don't think it exists in quite the same way, simply because there's not that same sorts of fan history. That's a relief to hear, put it that way. Um, Lindsay, we will end it there. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Really interesting. So thank you ever so much. If 
any listeners would like to engage with your work, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you or to access that work that you do? I am on Twitter and I post a lot of different things on there uh, related to football uh, and other uh, global sport and sports diplomacy issues. My Twitter handle is Lempika7. We will put that in the episode notes. Thanks ever so much for joining us and thank you listeners for tuning in and we will be back with you soon. If you enjoyed this show, then please do head to your listening platform of choice and leave us a review. This will help new listeners find us. We'd love to hear your thoughts and questions on today's show, so please connect with us on Twitter at FootballSockPod. Thank you for listening to the show and supporting the Football and Society podcast.